2: It's 607 in News Talk WSB. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, and I'm here to help you be more successful doing whatever you want to do with something that lives, that has photosynthetic properties in it. If you want to know about how to take care of your holiday plants, if you want to know about how to take care of your trees outside when it's cold, If you have a question about what you should be doing maybe six months from now when it's warm again, if you have any question about the natural world, the outdoors, the landscapes, lawns, trees, shrubs, flowers, houseplants, insects, diseases, anything you can think of, I'm here to help. 404-872-0750. 404-872-0750. It's 36.4 degrees outside right now, and i got a... Facebook posting last night from Teresa Schrum. Some of you remember Teresa Schrum. She screened calls for me for several, several, several years before Ashley Frasca came on board because Teresa moved to Bozeman, Montana. And Bozeman, Montana, my friends, is considerably colder than it is here. As a matter of fact, her Facebook post says it's in the minus 36. (laughs) Minus... 36 degrees predicted for this weekend. Snow, of course, has been howling across the Midwest and the Northeast for the last couple of days. And so Teresa is actually very happy, I think, with herself for being up there. She really, really, really enjoys being in the cold. But she did mention that they've drained all their outside pipes. But for their house, they have some... um, pipes that are in the exterior walls, and so for those pipes, I don't know if that's in our carport or bathroom or quite where those pipes are, but for those pipes they have to put space heaters next to the wall to keep the wall warm enough to keep the water in the pipes from freezing. Last weekend I talked about pipes freezing on the farm when I was a kid and what we had to do to thaw out the pipes on the farm, and I'm sure inside the walls of the houses in Bozeman, Montana. At minus 37 degrees, oh my gosh, it gets cold in there. And water pretty quickly coagulates and solidifies and then becomes all sorts of problems for the people inside the house trying to get a little water to drink or on the farm where I grew up for the chickens and the cows and everybody else to have something to drink. One of the things that I did not mention last Saturday when I talked about thawing the pump and doing the other things that I had to do for for water in the wintertime, was that sometimes you just couldn't get the darn things thawed out. You couldn't get the pump thawed out. And so what would you do? We had a pump. I mean, we had a hand cast iron pump that would you could, and you could pump water up from our well. It was only about 50, I guess, feet deep. It was a dug well. It had been there for... 50 or 60 years, I guess, but we could get water out of the out of the pump. And that was one of the most miserable jobs in the world, was pumping buckets full of water and then carrying them 100 yards to the chicken houses and pouring the water into the chicken troughs, which all mostly had ice on top of them. It was just a total miserable morning to have to do that. <laughs> so all these cold mornings... That I get up and it's what thirty six degrees outside today. I think, well, at least it's not freezing. At least I don't have to carry water after <laughs> the stupid chickens. Oh me! I say that because you know I have a, a, a feeling of affection for chickens, but at the time. When you're 15, 16 years old, and you're the oldest child, and you have to get up and carry water to the chickens, they were stupid chickens. <laughs> I did not want to go up there and water those those, uh, those chickens. Some people some people have asked me, you know, my son now 26 years old. Some have asked me if my son has taken after me in any way for my gardening. Skills and knowledge and I say absolutely not he does not have any particular interest it seems to me in learning how to garden on the other hand my son has five chickens catch that my friends my son the boy who grew up you know just in a suburban environment now has five chickens he lives in California and uh, he and his housemates have a little chicken house behind their house and they have five chickens there and last week he asked me specifically he said why aren't my chickens laying and i had to explain to him that chickens lay when they have a certain amount of daylight or a certain amount of just light on them during a 24-hour period typically they need about mm, 14 hours or so of light and so, because day lengths are shorter now, because day lengths are now in the 10 to 11 hour range, I'm thinking around 10 hours is what we have right now. You have to put lights, artificial lights, on the chickens to make them lay, to make them continue thinking. We got 14 hours of light. Let's start the process of making an egg. And so, last week I had to explain to him about how to put a light in the chicken house, put it on a timer, of course, so that they got 14 hours of of light during the day. It doesn't have to be much light, as a matter of fact. It can be just a 40 or 60 watt bulb. We had a bunch of 60 watt bulbs in our chicken houses as a child. We had a timer, we'd turn them on at night during the wintertime, turn them off, and that would give the chickens what they needed. And he has reported that immediately his chickens started laying more eggs. Out of five chickens, he used to get about five eggs a day during the summertime. And then it tapered off to about one egg a day in the last month or so, and he said almost immediately he was getting three eggs a day. So hey, daddy teaches son a little bit. Daddy teaches son a little bit about the nuances of farming. Again, on gardening, if you want to know some nuances of gardening, four zero four eight seven two zero seven fifty. Oh, by the way, on Twitter, if you want to if you want to get on the computer and or your cell phone and Twitter something to me, tweet me a question. Just put a hashtag, ask Walter. All you have to do. And Rachel, who's out here screening calls in Ashley's place this morning, will read them out and we'll get those answered as well. Our friend from Griffin, Nicole, calls us and joins us this morning. Hey, Nicole. Mr. Reeve. Ms. Nicole, good morning.
3: Good morning. You see, when you live on the farm, you know that the animal has to go first for drinking, isn't it? Because that was certainly live.
2: my yeah. parents' attitude. They thought the cows get fed, the cows get milked, the chickens get fed and watered, the eggs get uh, gathered. And then you can come back and watch TV and eat breakfast and have your cornflakes and things like that.
3: Yeah, because that's the way to bring money. Uh, This week I went on a farm and this man was feeding uh, the chicken, and I was trying to tell him that if he... Get some land because I read that the week before. Yeah. You can elongate elegan- the uh, time, you know. For but he couldn't hear that at all. And it is mine, you know. When you get seventy eight years old, sometimes new research <laughs> is like it's like talking Chinese to him. You know? <laughs> but I would have to get the reading, you know, and at least maybe read about it. You know, you can understand. But oh, boy, yeah. don't tell him that.
2: Don't tell him any day. Yeah, uh, when you get, I mean, even I am hard headed sometimes in the cause. Sometimes I don't believe things that people tell me until, fortunately, I do have a computer. I can go research it, look it up. But even back when I was a kid, those hard headed farmers around <laughs> around where I grew up, some of them just didn't believe in putting lime on the soil. They wouldn't lime their soil. They needed to put lime out, but they wouldn't do it because their daddy didn't do it.
3: Yes, yes. Huh. Uh, talking about uh, Teresa, uh, minus 36. <laughs> Uh, what if they let the uh, water dripping? It wouldn't freeze?
2: I don't know. Uh, they might. I guess if you left the water dripping fast enough, it can't freeze yeah. out there. But you'd have to have the water dripping pretty fast at minus 36 for it not to suddenly sort of crystallize and stop. And once it stops in one place of the pipe. Everything is clogged up.
3: Yes, yes. Because I live through uh, minus 65 in our past oh good! <laughs> you drop a steel bar on the ground right. and they break apart. Right. You could not stop your car, could not stop your truck. If you stop, it just got, It would never start back. I
2: know they have heaters for the engine block on yes. their truck.
3: Man, yes. Bozeman. Even either around the pipe, uh, yeah. the water pipe, you know, when it gets that bad
2: you know, that you go outside and your ears are freezing right away, you know. It makes me wonder, you know, Nicole, I had, there's a, you know, a product at the hardware store called heating tape. And it's a, a sort of a plastic tape with wire in it that you can wrap around pipes to keep them from freezing. And I'm wondering why in Bozeman they don't wrap all the pipes with heating tape. It's possibly not a legal, permitted thing to do because it's electricity, it's heat, it's on a wall. If it should short out and start a fire, then that would be a problem. So it may not be legal even to do that. But certainly that is one way to keep pipes from freezing if it's not in an unsafe position.
3: Yeah, but uh, uh, maybe, Teresa, it's really sometimes it uh, it comes all of a sudden and uh, you're short of a. thinking, because that happened so quickly overnight, you know. <laughs> but either around outside, good grief.
2: Yeah, and, and speaking of, it comes up overnight and you're short of thinking. I uh, just, for the day yesterday, yesterday or the day before yesterday, I guess, thought to myself, oh, I need to turn off all the water to my faucets outside before it gets so cold that it freezes my pipes. And I will have to admit, Nicole, that it's been more than one time, more than one winter, when I don't remember to turn the water off outside. I wake up the next morning and there's a big fountain going over around the pipes where they froze overnight because I forgot to turn the water off, but I did turn mine off this year.
3: Yeah, because water expands, isn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah.
3: Sure I had right. a glass jar outside and <laughs> it broke apart. I mean, that was just um, because of water expands. You know, sure, it's plastic, just, it's
2: remarkable to... to see a pipe that is frozen, and that would happen occasionally on the farm, that pipes would freeze so cold and it would be steel. I mean, these are not copper pipe, not plastic pipe, but steel pipe that would burst because of the intense pressure inside because of the freezing. It's, it's a remarkable thing to see that. Hopefully, not going to happen to anybody listening right now, not to you, not to me, but it can be a mess.
3: So you are the oldest boy?
2: yes, I was the oldest oh,
3: boy. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm not too far behind you, but my brother, that. the oldest, is 74.
2: Oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. He's ahead of me, so I'm not to 74 yet, but I can see 74 in the distance. It's coming faster than I would like.
3: I mean, just one week is like Friday. The next time you turn around, <laughs> it's Friday again. <laughs> it's just incredible. it's us probably because when you're young, you don't yeah, think about that.
2: Well, speaking of things going around fairly fast, it's come to the end of our conversation. It's almost 618. we got to get out of here. But, Nicole, it's a wonderful thing to talk to you. Merry Christmas again.
3: Right back at you, Mr. Reeves. We
2: will see
1: you next Saturday. Be
2: safe. It's 618 on a Saturday morning. We'll be back after this.
1: Boom. This is Scott Slate, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves the lawn and garden advice you need.
3: Been an awful good girl, Santa baby
1: so hurry down the chimney
2: tonight. Well, what a Santa enduring outside as far as the weather goes? A quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Oh, scattered, scattered, scattered. Thin chances of showers today. Highs in the mid-60s, 65 or 66 degrees. Overnight, not changing very much. Down to about 60 or 61. Rain probably coming tomorrow. Much more likely to come in tomorrow. 80 to 90% chance of rain tomorrow. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Lewis is up in Jefferson, Georgia and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Lewis, good morning.
3: Hey, how's it going? It's all uh, right,
2: Lewis. What you need?
3: The question is, is the history of the dogwood tree, the old the old tale was is that that was the tree that Christ was crucified on, and that's how come it's so deformed and uh, grows crooked and everything. But I just know if the
4: age of that tree is that absolutely
2: true or is... well i mean i have no no knowledge about what kind of wood christ was crucified on but the dogwood was certainly has been in existence on the earth for oh, hundreds of thousands of years as a matter of fact lewis you i think you probably know this that there's the american dogwood the one that blooms in the spring and we all look out and see its white flowers and that's real pretty and then there's the asian dogwood too which we sometimes plant here in In the Metro area because the Asian dogwoods Don't bloom until May And they have white flowers certainly But they have different looking fruit And slightly different looking leaves on them And those two uh, dogwoods Developed from a common ancestor Back a zillion years ago I don't know exactly how many zillion years ago That was, (laughs) but you know, (laughs) a while ago uh, When there used to be A a big continent that just was One great monster continent on the earth And then the the continent split apart And parts of it drifted one way, and that became North America, and parts of it drifted another way, and that became Asia. And that common dogwood ancestor in Asia developed a way of blooming in later period with leaves on the tree, and the American dogwood developed in a way that the leaves were off the tree, so it blooms, of course, in early April each year. So, honestly, I don't know anything. I know that there are stories about every plant it seems in existence about their medicinal uh, possibilities or their um, what would you say? Historical, prob- probably stories about them. Hit, comment yeah. on that. But I will say that we do have the Asian and the American dogwoods. They work great in America, and I'm particularly uh, partial to the Asian dogwoods because they do bloom in a different time. That's all I know, okay,
4: Lewis. I was,
2: all right, sir. We'll see you soon. 404 750 is the number on Lawn and Garden. Or you can ask me questions at Twitter. Hashtag AskWalter. We'll be back after news. <laughs>
1: It's
2: 636 and, coincidentally, 36 degrees outside. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia gardener, here to help you be more successful doing whatever you want to do. And even the simplest questions or the hardest questions are entertained on this show. If you have a very, very simple question because you've always wondered something and been sort of not sure who to ask, ask me. I might have an idea. I might point you in the right direction. Or if you have a really, really complicated question... I can try to sort it out in my mind and sort it out in your mind, and we'll see if we can find an answer to that as well. Our phone number easy is 404-872-0750, or you can Twitter. You can use Twitter. Tweet me a question at hashtag AskWalter. James is down in Florida and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, James, where are you calling from?
4: Good morning. North of Orlando. Bless your heart. I enjoy listening to you. I could not Catch your real program. I can only catch you on the internet. It's pre recorded Usually they come on. I think about Mondays, and I start listening to part. Really love listening to you. Uh, I'm actually not a Floridian. I'm born in the Midwest, around Kansas City, so I miss the change of seasons. And you, but help me out a lot. All
2: right. Well, how can I help this morning, James?
4: Uh, I'm trying to save propagate a hibiscus that's going to be destroyed through some land developing. I can't dig up the whole plant for one thing, but the soil here now is so hard, despite the fact that it's all sand. Yeah, sure. Uh, But what I've done, I've taken some cuttings, some new growth and some old growth, and put some uh, powder on the bottom and stuck them in the soil. But I'm curious, this is the wrong time of the year that I would normally do that. And is there any chance these things Will sprout and grow?
2: I think there's a pretty Good chance, I think there's a real good chance As a matter of fact, if you I mean the basic thing that a hibiscus needs In uh, all cuttings, all cuttings When you do a propagation Like this, is to have humidity Around the leaves until It can grow some roots, and that rootone powder You put on the bottom is the hormone That helps right. the roots start growing But uh, if you just stick them in the ground You need some sort of cover Plastic or even a cut off a 2-liter Coke bottle and turn it over and put it on top of it so it keeps the humidity uh, high underneath there. That is what will help you to be successful in rooting these
4: cuttings. Would nesting them uh, a couple of times a day help?
2: It'll help, but honestly, you'll be better off to put a cover over the top. Now, you can't do the... You have, to be, you have to be careful about that cover because in Orlando, of course, you have much brighter sunshine than we do in Atlanta right now. Even in Atlanta, on a sunny day... 40 degrees outside, underneath a sealed plastic cover, you know how hot it's going to be, like being in your car in cold weather. The sun coming through converts to heat, and the inside of the car can be really, really hot, and it can be in Orlando, too, and you might cook your, your, um, your seedlings, uh, your cuttings underneath there, and so what some people do is make a little umbrella, put a, a piece of... My, my neighbor Harry used to root tomatoes, and what he would do is clip a piece of tomato off his vine. He would do this sometime in June, and he would take a piece about 12 inches long, stick it into the soil a foot away from his regular tomato plant, and break off a holly bush branch. And he would stick the holly bush branch over his tomato seedling, keep it watered for four or five days. The holly bush was just enough shade. He let the tomato root in the ground. The watering was constant. And he looked after it pretty, pretty closely for five or six days. And he would have rooted tomatoes within um, 10 days or so, and he'd dig those up and plant them in another part of the garden. So as long as you keep the temperature inside this plastic cover over your hibiscus cuttings, as long as you keep it on the you know, tolerable side and keep the humidity high, you should have pretty good success.
4: How about if I just put it in a pot and put the pot in the house near, but not in front of a window with bright light?
2: I think it would underneath. do better if you have it outside. Really, My favorite okay. place to propagate is underneath a dogwood tree whatever you got in, in, in Orlando that approximates the shade under a dogwood tree. It's just enough light filtering through a dogwood. And even though I know you want to put it inside the house and keep an eye on it, James, the light levels, even by a window, even with you know the light from the ceiling coming down on it, that light level is much, much less than is really necessary for a cutting to have the energy to root. So I don't think it'll be successful if you bring it in the house, but it will be if you put it outside and keep the humidity high.
4: Okay, man, then I'll put it outside and I'll find it. i got plenty of shade in the yeah. backyard. I can...
2: Let me know. Call me up that. in two or three weeks. Let me know how it works, James.
4: Okay, thank you, Walter. You have the best day ever.
2: All right, man, we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. 40 minutes past the hour. That gives David and Tucker his turn. Hey, David, good morning.
4: Good morning and Merry Christmas, Walter. Merry
2: Christmas. Thank you,
4: David. Uh, I have a shading question. Uh, I think I know just about enough to be dangerous on this topic. Um, I have heard that irises could use some perennial shade, and I was wondering if a pyropiento would be a good choice to uh, plant and provide shade for a bunch of iris bulbs.
2: Uh, Let's go back to the first assumption. I don't think there's any necessity to shade iris at all. And I know, you know, because I'll give you a quiz question, David. Do you know which city in Georgia is the iris city? Which city has adopted the iris as its flower?
4: No clue.
2: Griffin, Georgia. And Griffin, Georgia had at one time, still does have, I think in some places, display gardens of irises that are out in the full baking sunshine. sun shine. They had one at the Experiment Garden near the Experiment Station, and um, those irises looked great. <laughs> they were in full sun. So there may be some species of iris that tolerate a little bit of shade, but I think that most iris would prefer to be in full sun.
4: Oh, okay, so I, I guess I just read something bogus. So. Okay. You oh. never
2: know, David. I mean, there's all sorts of things on the, online right now. Fake news is making a big uh, push into the real news and real fact area, and that's why I am the valuable guy who can tell you exactly what is fake and what is real. What is real, they need sunshine. What is fake, put the irises in the shade, and they'll dwindle away, and you won't have any irises anymore.
4: All right, thank you, sir.
2: David, it's great talking to you. Call again. We'll see you soon. 404 8720750 gets you in to take David's place. Who comes next? Brian. Brian's out in Loganville. Hey, Brian. Good morning. Welcome to Lawn Garden. Hey, how you doing
4: today, Walter? Doing all
2: right, Brian. What's
4: up? I was actually uh, trying to see when a good time would be to move
2: a peach tree. It's probably about five foot tall.
4: Mm. And I didn't
2: know if this was a good time of year to try to move it or if I should wait until it warms up a little bit. I cannot think of a better day than today. Brian, I'll tell you why. Number one, it's going to be in the mid-60s this afternoon, so you're not freezing your can off out there digging the thing up and the wind whipping around you and making, your life, <laughs> making life miserable. Number two, it's supposed to rain tomorrow, and so when you put it in its new spot, the rain will settle it in, make it real nice and happy. And uh, it's the weekend. It's Saturday, Sunday, so you got time to do it. So what's wrong with doing it this afternoon?
4: Oh, nothing. I'm
3: going to be doing it this afternoon. All right. You said it's not tall, five feet tall? In-
2: Go ahead. Uh, you said it's five feet tall, Brian? Yeah, it's
3: about five feet
4: tall.
2: Yeah, so I think it's all the leaves are gone, I'm sure, now. And what you really want to try to get is every speck of root attached to the tree that you possibly can, even to the extent of I have been very successful myself in simply putting so much water underneath a little tree that I was trying to transplant that it turned the soil into a soggy, muddy mess And then I got a buddy to pull on the tree, and I would go underneath it, sort of grub around in the mud with my hands, loosening roots and pulling roots out. And by the time he pulled the thing up, it was almost bare-rooted, but it had a whale of a good root system on it. And that is what you want for your peach tree to survive and thrive and give you some peaches next year and the years after. There's a great big root system now. It's been five, you know, five or six maybe years Developing that root system, and if you can avoid wasting it and leaving it back where it's growing right now, and take it to the new place, and gosh, it's going to be that much happier.
0: Okay.
4: And do you think I need to keep it? Uh, I live in a wooded lot. Should I try to keep it towards the, in the sunlight? Yes, or
2: sir. Yes, sir. More sun, more sugar, more sugar, more happy Brian and the family out there. You got to keep it in the sun. There's not okay. any real need. Well, I'll, t- I'll give you a couple of hints. i got a minute here. I'll tell you about this. The biggest thing that you can do to make that peach happy, well, I gave you two things you can do to make it happy. One, make sure that the area around it is loosened up. It doesn't have to be amended. You don't have to put manure in the soil. You just need to loosen the soil easily six feet around the spot where you plant it, simply so the roots can spread as quickly as they want to whenever it warms up. They'll just spread through the thread and grow as fast as they can through loosened soil. That's number one. Number two, though, is lime. One of the biggest things I think that keeps peach growers from success is Georgia soils tend to be on the acid side and lime really, really, really helps peaches and plums and cherries do their best. So for this peach, if you are going to do it today, you'll have time to do a soil test, of course. But um, let's see, for an area that's about six feet down to 100 square feet, I would put a pint to maybe two pints of lime on the area that you're loosening. And sort of as you're loosening, you're digging the lime into the soil so it dissolves uh, in the rainfall. And that lime and the loosened soil around your peach is going to give you a real, real good head start.
4: All right. Well, I appreciate all the information.
2: All right. Doing my best to make you more successful yourself. Bring me some all peaches sometime, Brian.
4: I will do. Thank right. you, and have a Merry Christmas.
2: You too. We'll see you soon. Bye. All, right. all right. Bye. 404-872-0750 is my number. The reason that I know... That lime is so is so successful in, in reviving peaches it is back many years ago, twenty years ago I guess, there was a pathologist in Athens, the University of Georgia, that I knew who farmers, you know, peach growers and homeowners as well, would send him sometimes samples of their peach trees that had declined. They were sick, they had all sorts of diseases, they wanted this guy to diagnose what the problem was with the peach tree. And so he would diagnose the problem. He would call them or write them and say, this is what you have, this is what you need to do on your peach tree. And after that, he thought, heck, I'm going to plant these peach trees. And he had a place behind the lab that he got somebody to dig up, and he put a lot of lime out there. He raised the pH to around 6.8, which is pretty high pH for most plants. But he planted his peach trees out there, and he had a thriving, a thriving peach orchard back there behind his lab because he took all these diseased, sickly peach trees, put them in limed soil. Lo and behold, up they came, and he had all the peaches he and his staff needed. So lime is important. If you have a peach or a cherry or a plum tree, and you want to put lime on it right now? About a pint per hundred square feet would be about my ratio, my recommendation, right? Ratio measure about how big an area you have underneath the tree. One pint per hundred square feet. Got it. All right. 6:47 at News Talk WSB. Our phone number 404 We'll be back after this.
1: This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News and News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves for the lawn and garden advice you need. Candles
3: are burning low. One for each night they shed a sweet light to remind us of days long ago. Yeah,
2: Hanukkah's early, not early, Hanukkah's late this year. Hanukkah starts, I believe, Christmas Day and then ends uh, New Year's Eve. So Hanukkah coming up, Christmas coming up, holiday time. If you have a question about holiday plants, of course, you can give me a call. 404-872-0750, your full weekend forecast. Comes up in 10 minutes right now. A quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security Basically, a pretty nice day, 60-some-odd degrees this afternoon, slight chance of showers today, much more chance of rain tomorrow. 61, the overnight low in your full weekend forecast, as I said, comes up in 10 minutes. Maria in Douglasville joins us on Lawn and Garden.
0: Hey, Maria, good morning. Good morning, Walter. How are you today? I'm
2: well. How can I help?
0: I am the caretaker of my great-grandmother's Christmas cactus.
2: All right, nice. Um, And
0: this Christmas cactus hails from East Tennessee, yeah. But the past 30 years or so, it's been living in Douglasville with my, with my mom and dad. Um, I'm now the primary caretaker of this plant, and for the past few years, it has always bloomed beautifully in, basically at Valentine's Day. Wow. And it's gorgeous. It's fuchsia, so it's perfect color for Valentine's. But I wondered, if I, if I wanted to try to push it back so it could be a Christmas cactus, what, as opposed to a Valentine's cactus... What, if anything, can I do to set its clock back a
2: couple months? Uh, keep it at about 55 to 60 degrees for about a month and a half before Christmas, and okay. it'll work fine. How are you going to manage the 55 to 60 degrees?
0: That's a real good question. That's an excellent
2: <laughs> question. <laughs> I mean, the greenhouse guys, they know exactly what to do. They've got a greenhouse. They can do it for a thousand, a million plants at a time. For you, they're in uh, Douglasville. I don't know about that.
0: Um, I may just be happy with my Valentine's cactus
2: You know, that was exactly where I was heading There are actually three different sort of holiday cacti Each one is a different uh, species There's the Thanksgiving cactus that has Points on the leaves. If you look at the leaves of the Thanksgiving cactus, all of them have little points around the edge, and that's the most likely thing for most people to have, because mm-hmm. the Thanksgiving cactus, if kept in the sixty degrees for two and a half weeks before Christmas, will or three weeks before Christmas, will um, delay flowering, and so they okay. they're forced to flower at Christmas. And oh, that's excitement! Everybody calls a Christmas cactus, but there's a different species entirely called Christmas cactus that blooms at Christmas without any. Messing with it at all. I have a Christmas cactus and it's got buds, big fat buds, all over it right now. It'll be ready to go Christmas Day. And then, excuse me, then later on, there's an Easter cactus that may be what you have. And Easter cacti have long, elongated leaves and they bloom most likely during the Easter period. It's all a response to temperature and light. And by manipulating the two of those things, you can get them to bloom just about any time. But I think your opinion, Maria, is to do let it do what it wants to do and enjoy the blooms when they come.
0: Absolutely, uh, mine may be. It's you know this is a, a an old plant, so at least the uh, so I, I honestly I should do a little I should Google I guess and do a little research as to what species this is. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. And, and
2: sure, 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 sure. Google it and just say difference between Easter, Thanksgiving, Christmas cacti, and I'm sure there are plenty of images online. You can figure out what you have and then you'll know. And if you know, it's even just more enjoyable to be a gardener to know that. At 6.58, we'll be back to more Lawn and Garden after news.